that would overwhelm the people of God because of their failure to trust in God's way and in his word. I want to move back to chapter 8. It's going to be up on the screen. Chapter 8, verse 22. This is what Isaiah says, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out or plunged into darkness. So in Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah is pinning words saying wherever they, wherever they look, he says there will be trouble, anguish, and dark despair. So, so he's talking about a darkness, a spiritual darkness that will eventually come and overwhelm the people of God because of their failure to trust in God and trust in his word. If you remember last week, we talked about Ahaz. Ahaz was king of Judah. And if you remember last week in chapter 7 of Isaiah, uh, we see that there are a couple kings that come to put pressure on Ahaz. They want him to form an alliance with, with him or with them, and, and he fails to do so. He says, I'm not interested. And if you remember, uh, God speaks to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, I'm going to give you a sign, um, and, and the sign existed for Ahaz to encourage him, to challenge him to trust in God, not to trust in the other nations. Ahaz was a king that instead of trusting in God and in his word, he decided that he was going to put all of his eggs in the Assyria basket. He was going to trust in Assyria. He was going to trust in them, um, this other nation who was actually one of their enemies. He was going to trust them instead of trusting in God. And because of that, then we get to chapter 8. And we read those words, wherever they look, there will be trouble, anguish, and dark despair. So he is speaking of a future darkness that is to come. And so we looked at last week, Judah, um, or King Ahaz, placed their trust in Assyria instead of God. Therefore, soon they would become prey to the very nation uh, they trusted in. Um, that's, not, that's not funny, but you see, you see kind of the irony in that statement there. Judah's going to, or King Ahaz is going to place all of his trust in Assyria to give him relief. He's going to trust in, a, in his enemy. He's going to trust in another nation to save him instead of trusting in God. But what we're going to see later on in Isaiah is that eventually what's going to happen is the very nation that Ahaz trusted in and, and, and put all of his eggs in that basket is the nation that's going to bring destruction upon his people. We read in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. It says, My care for the people of Judah is like the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, but they have rejected it. They are rejoicing over what will happen to King Rezin and King Pekah. Therefore the Lord, listen to this, therefore the Lord will overwhelm them with a mighty flood from the Euphrates River the king of Assyria in all of his glory. What Isaiah is saying here is you trusted in Assyria, but Assyria eventually is going to overwhelm you. He's gonna, he's gonna flood you into the point of where the very nation that you trusted in is the very nation that you're gonna fall prey to and you're gonna be destroyed. Isaiah then describes a people who would look unto the dead for vision and guidance. And what I'm trying to do is I want to paint the picture of spiritual darkness that, that, is, that Isaiah is referring to. Because Israel, because Judah, failed to trust in God, instead they placed their trust in some other nation, it's going to lead to a, a period of darkness in their life. And, and we see part of this, this failure to trust in God because we see also that they're gonna, he, Isaiah will describe a group of people who actually will look unto the dead for vision and guidance instead of relying on the word of the Lord. Look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. It says, Someone may say to you, 
Let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Instead of asking God for direction and for vision, they were trying to conjure up dead spirits and mediums in order to get direction and vision. And so again, what Isaiah is doing is he is painting the spiritual darkness of this group of people because of their failure to trust in God and to place their faith in him. According to Isaiah, the path that Judah was on, it would lead to complete darkness, despair, and anguish. But the state of Judah, as mentioned in Isaiah's prophecy, it reflects, I would suggest to you, this, this condition that we read about in Isaiah chapter 8 and Isaiah chapter 9, this state of, this condition of spiritual darkness, uh, I would suggest to you actually reflects the culture, um, our 21st century culture. If you, I don't know if you watch the news or if, you, um, if you're on Facebook, on social media, you don't have to go too far to get a taste of the spiritual darkness that really overwhelms our culture today. There is a sense of hopelessness. There is a sense of despair. There is a sense of anguish that seems to really plague our culture. I, I just want to give you a taste of that. Um, and, and I'm really giving you here the bad news first, so don't leave. <laughs> don't leave in the middle of this because you're going to walk away very discouraged and disappointed. Uh, but there is, there is a great hope um, that, that is uh, here in the text for us. But darkness prevails, or darkness looks like this in our culture today. Let me just give you a few examples. Human life that is created in the Imago Dei or the image of God. It, it, you don't have to look too far to recognize that that human life in our culture today has been devalued. Um, preborn children are being aborted. There's those who have developmental concerns that all of a sudden become unwanted. Foreigners are hated. Skin color creates division. But the reality is these are all human beings that God has created in his image, in his likeness. They have stamped on them doesn't matter what nationality they are. Uh, doesn't matter if they're still in the womb or they're 99 years old. It doesn't matter if they have one skin color or a different skin color. It doesn't matter if they're from this country or that country. The reality is every single human being is created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, that life is valuable. Yet our culture today preaches a completely different message. If the child doesn't match up to what, they, what their expectations are, well, you can abort it. If it's unwanted or it wasn't the right timing, you can get rid of the child. That, that's the mentality of our culture today. That's the spiritual darkness, the despair that we wrestle with. We also see that in our culture today, sin, which is rebellion against God and his word, sin is being celebrated. Again, the darkness and the despair that we wrestle with, addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, greed, addiction grips the lives of innocent men, women, and children. Darkness, despair, and anguish. Families are being ripped apart due to acts of adultery, failure to commit to a covenant bond or financial burdens and stress. Darkness, despair, and anguish. And Satan is attempting to lead our children and grandchildren down paths of destruction and utter chaos. That's just a taste 
We read about the spiritual darkness in Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 9. But here in the 21st century, we still are wrestling with a period or a season of darkness that needs to be overcome. Yet as was the case for Judah and is the case for our 21st century culture, darkness is not and should not be the final word. So let's look now at Isaiah chapter 9. In our very first, the very first two verses we read, listen now. So in chapter 8, Isaiah is painting a picture of spiritual darkness that exists because they failed to trust in God and his word. But then Isaiah will say in chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, that time of darkness, Isaiah says, and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humble, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory, and the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. God did not intend to leave Judah in a place of darkness and despair. And the same is true for us, though we wrestle with this darkness today, and though our culture seems to be spinning spiraling downward, the reality is God does not intend to leave us in a place of spiritual darkness. And that's why he can say in verse one, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. And and, and so it seems like when you read chapter eight, it seems like there is no hope for the people of God, that that they're gonna be plunged into a period of darkness and there seems to be no hope for these people. Yet we get to chapter nine, And it says very specifically that darkness would not last forever. And what's very interesting is that the place uh, where Assyria will come in and destroy the people of God, which is actually in the Zebulun and Naphtali territory, is actually the very same place that God promised a great light would emerge. This, this prophecy is actually uh, Frank Redden in our call to worship. We read about it in Matthew chapter 4 um, where, where um, they will speak of this prophecy here in Isaiah chapter 9. But the place that once represented defeat will eventually become a place of victory. Look in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 3 through 5. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned and they will be fuel for the fire. The very place that represented defeat will become a place of victory. If darkness consumes you, overwhelms you, and surrounds you, The promise is you will see a great light and that light will shine brightly. The question is, how is that possible? How will will light emerge out of this spiritual darkness that's being referred to in Isaiah chapter 8 or Isaiah chapter 9? And and how will light emerge in the darkness that I described to you, whether it's it's, um, the depravity of our human culture, whether it's sin being celebrated or addiction that's gripping the lives of human beings today, how will light emerge out of that darkness? The truth is found in a person. Truth is found in a son. The truth is found in a child that was to be born. The birth of a child, not any child, 
wasn't some ordinary child. It was an extraordinary child. It was the birth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's why then in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, Isaiah will write these words, a child is born to us, a son. This is 700 years before Jesus will be born. And Isaiah will write these words, a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so how does light emerge out of darkness? Light emerges out of darkness through the person of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who try to solve the issues of our culture today. Um, we, we try um, different methods. Um, we try different attempts. But the reality is the only thing, the only solution to spiritual darkness is a child that was born in Bethlehem. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus um, will be described in the New Testament by John like this in John chapter John chapter 1 verse 4 it says the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it and the one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world and Jesus will describe himself as, as follows, he says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And so how does light emerge out of spiritual darkness? It's through the person of Jesus Christ. It's through his presence that we talked about last week. And I want you to, I'm gonna put this note up on here on the screen and, and this is a very simple note, but I want you to hear this this morning. If you've ignored everything else that I've said thus far, I want you to at least grasp this um, and take this with you. When we invite Jesus, who is the light of the world, into our life and into our circumstances, powerful change will happen. If we ourselves on an individual basis are struggling with darkness and, and we feel like that, that there is no hope, that hopelessness or, or that fear that we're wrestling with, the reality is we can try a lot of things to get rid of that, but the only thing that will bring light in the midst of darkness is the person of Jesus Christ who is the light of the world. That's one of the reasons why when, when Iris is afraid and she's scared at night because of her dark room, that's, that's one of the reasons why myself or Sarah will go into her, her room and either encourage her or pray with her to pray to Jesus. Not because we, we want to just hurry and get back to the couch and do our thing um, and, and, and move on, but, but we believe in, in the truth that if, if we are wrestling with darkness, the only way that light will emerge is through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we tell Iris or Eden or Amos, whoever, that's why we will go into the room and say, let's, let's pray to Jesus because he can take away that fear because he is the light of the world that will emerge and extinguish the darkness that we are wrestling through. I wanna share just three things um, with you this morning here real briefly. That's really the context um, of Isaiah chapter nine. But I wanna talk about Jesus being the light of the world and what does that mean? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? That Jesus Christ is the light of the world and how should we, re how should we respond to that reality? <clears throat> Number one, the light of the world which is Jesus Christ, 
turns our darkness into light. I want you to hear that again. The light of the world turns our darkness into light. Um, some of us may wrestle with the fear of death. Um, but the reality is the fear of death no longer has to rule our hearts. But instead, we can have the assurance that our eternal dwelling will be with Christ if we place our trust in him. For some of us, darkness may come in the form of the uncertainty of our future, maybe due to recent circumstances, whether it's the loss of a job or the passing of a spouse or a change in our financial situation. And so part of our darkness is, is really wrestling with this fear of the unknown. Uh, fear of, of, I don't know what's going to happen in five days. I don't know what, um, what I'm going to do next week because I've lost my job. Or I don't know what I'm going to do because of my financial situation. And so we wrestle with the fear of the unknown. And that is the darkness that we are struggling with. But the reality is the light of the world, Jesus Christ, can turn our darkness into light. And so when we wrestle with the uncertainty of our future, we can know for confidence, we can have confidence and know that it does not have to cripple my walk with Christ because he never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our sustainer. He is our provider. And so when we begin to wrestle with the fear of, uh, of the unknown and the future, we don't have to fear because God is our provider, our sustainer, and he's the one that will bring light in the midst of darkness. We also know that relational and emotional brokenness can be healed, restored, and repaired by the very one who specializes in broken things. If, if part of our darkness that we're struggling with and wrestling with is, is a relational brokenness or a relational darkness or an emotional darkness um, that, that we're struggling with, the reality is we do not have to fear that because we know that God, again, he, he specializes um, you know, some of us in this room, you know, you might have a specialty, something that you do very well, uh, something that is, is kind of your niche. Uh, fixing things is not mine. For some of you, it is. But the reality is when it comes to broken things that need repaired, that need restored, that need to be redeemed, Jesus Christ, he specializes in broken things. He can take our brokenness, he can take our darkness, and, and he can emerge and bring light and wholeness in those areas. Number two, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, transforms our hopeless situations into hope-filled promises. Um, Peter was an apostle or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, Peter messed up pretty bad. Uh, Peter thought that his life was pretty hopeless um, after uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. If you know, if you know the story, uh, Peter was probably the uh, closest disciple uh, of Jesus. He was. Uh, there was a group of twelve disciples that followed Jesus uh, during the three years that he did ministry on earth. But then there was kind of this inner circle: Peter, James, and John. Um, they were kind of a little bit closer. Uh, they had some special encounters uh, with Jesus that some of the others did not get to experience. Peter, James, and John, they got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and they saw Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah before them and, and all of the other disciples didn't get to encounter what Peter, James, and John did. But then Peter even had what seemed to be, e either it was because he spoke 
up often, <laughs> even when he shouldn't have. Uh, but the reality is Peter seemed to have a very special relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. He was the one uh, when Jesus started asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? You know, some say, you know, John the Baptist, some say another prophet, some say, you know, Elijah. And then he turns and he looks at the disciples and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So he had this incredible confession uh, of who Jesus was. So Peter had a very special, unique relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, if you know the story, Jesus um, said to Peter, um, in one of, their, one of their gatherings at one point, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times um, before the rooster crows. Um, Peter didn't know what Jesus was talking about at the time. And Peter, who was an, an avid follower of Jesus and um, was willing to lay his life down, at least that's what he said, was willing to lay his life down for Christ, Peter said, absolutely not, Jesus. I would never, I would never deny you. I, I would never turn my back on you, Jesus. And, and so that was Peter's confession. And we get to um, the arrest of Jesus. And if you know, if you read in the Gospels, you'll see this in the Gospel accounts. Peter will deny Jesus three times. Um, what's interesting, I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, maybe, in Luke's account. Um, what's interesting is that when the rooster crows, um, I don't know if they're, if they're close by, but the text says that, that the eyes of Jesus and the eyes of Peter will actually lock on one another. Almost like that third time when Peter denied even knowing who Jesus was and then the rooster crowed. It was like in that moment, something happened in Peter. His eyes locked onto the eyes of Jesus. And so for Peter, at that moment, and then Jesus is crucified up on the cross. For Peter, he thought his life was hopeless. Talk about darkness. I mean, you, you spend three years with this guy. You say, I'm never going to deny you. Um, I'll lay my life. I'll die for you. That was Peter's confession. And, and, and then he has an opportunity to stand up for Jesus. And three times, Peter says, I don't know who this man is. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, Peter will say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know who he is. I didn't spend any time with this man. And somebody else will say, aren't you, aren't you one of the disciples? Aren't you one who followed this guy? And Peter says, I, I don't know who you're talking about. That's not me. Maybe it was, you know, my lookalike over here, but that wasn't me. And so then imagine for just a second the, the pain and the darkness, that moment when the rooster crowed. And for the third time, Peter had denied even knowing who Jesus was. Imagine for a second the hopelessness that must have overwhelmed Peter in that moment. He just denied, and at one point it says he even cursed uh, to the point of where he did not even want to have anything to do with uh, who Jesus was. And so imagine the darkness that overwhelmed Peter and the hopelessness. He thought that his life was over. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty low moment, uh, I would say, to deny the Savior, to deny Jesus Christ three different times, and, and, and to lie three different times, saying that I don't even know who this person is. And yet, we see later on, um, we see in the gospel accounts, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, we read about it in John chapter, I believe, 21, um, Peter is actually restored into right relationship with Jesus. So 
Peter, I mean, even up to this point, even after the resurrection, you, you can imagine Peter's walking around with a sense of hopelessness, despair, anguish, darkness, um, and, and, and probably feels like he has literally, um, he, he's given up on, on Jesus. And so we get to John chapter 21, and we see that, that Jesus, who is the light of the world, he's going to transform the hopeless feeling of Peter into a hope-filled promise. Because in John chapter 21, um, after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the disciples are out fishing. They, they come ashore. They bring some of the fish. They start cooking, uh, cooking the fish. They're going to have breakfast together. Jesus is there with them. And, and the picture we get in John chapter 21 is that, that Jesus kind of pulls Peter aside a little bit. The disciples are still there. They can overhear the conversation. And Jesus looks at Peter. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Of course, Jesus, I love you. Absolutely. Then feed my sheep, Jesus says. He does that three times. I don't think that's ironic that Peter denied him three times. And three times Jesus will ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. So Peter thought his life was hopeless after he denied Christ. Yet Jesus would restore him back to right relationship with him. The light of the world transformed Peter's hopeless situation into a hope-filled promise. And the same is true for us this morning as well. If we feel like we've messed up too many times, maybe you're here in this room and, and, and you're in that boat. You feel like you've, you've messed up one too many times and, and you can't be used of God anymore because you've crossed the line now, you've gone too far. I want you to know today that God longs for you to be his or her willing servant. That's how Peter felt. Peter was, felt extremely and incredibly hopeless. He felt like, I mean, he, he denied Christ, and so in his mind, he felt like he could no longer be used of God. Yet Jesus took his hopeless situation, and he transformed it into a hope-filled promise. And, and who is it in Acts chapter 2 that stands up and gives a powerful sermon and 3,000 people are added to the church that day? It's Peter. Peter's life is changed and transformed. So if you're here this morning and you feel like you've messed up one too many times or you can't be used to God because of this or that or because of your past, the reality is God is able to take our hopeless situations and he can transform them and use them for his glory. He, he longs for us to be his willing servants. We just need to submit ourselves wholeheartedly to him. And for those who feel like maybe our life has no meaning, no purpose, no value, again, the reality is this. We find hope in the promise that our identity, who we are, it's not rooted in something that I can do. It's not rooted in, in how many trophies I have or how many things I've accomplished for God. It's not rooted in how much money I put in the offering. My identity, who I am, the value is rooted in the fact that I am a son or a daughter of God, that he has stamped on me his image and his likeness. And so if we feel that hopeless darkness, that, man, my life has no purpose, no meaning, I can't accomplish anything, I can't do anything, the reality is that's not where our value is found. Our value is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And then number three, then, the light of the world takes our conflict and he offers us shalom, which is peace. The light of the world, Jesus Christ will take our conflict um, our disorder, our dysfunction, our darkness, and he will offer us shalom, wholeness. 
or peace. Psalmist writes these words, Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? You know, the story of Christmas really captures this truth, that the light of the world takes our conflict and offers us peace. Because the reality of Christmas is this, that our world was so full of conflict or sin that, that human beings, you and me, were so steeped in sin and we needed to be rescued from that conflict. We needed to be rescued from our sin. And so what did God do? God sent us his son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to bring us wholeness, to bring us shalom, to bring us peace. That's why when we sing the Christmas carol, and the words will be up on the screen, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The light of the world comes into this world to take our conflict and offer us shalom and peace. He has reconciled, Jesus Christ has reconciled sinners back to God. That's why in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2, we read these words, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. And this is what the angels were doing. They were praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So the story of Christmas captures this truth that, that Jesus has come as the light of the world to take our conflict and to offer us wholeness, peace, or shalom. We also know that Jesus is ready to take our mess, our conflict, and our brokenness and offer us peace, wholeness, and restoration. Uh, Jen talked about or, or announced the discipleship groups that are getting ready to start in January. Um, and I'm really excited about those because one of the beautiful things about these groups is that we're going to have an opportunity uh, to come together, to study scripture together, to pray, um, pray specifically for lost people, to, to hold each other accountable. But the, the, the thing about discipleship, when we talk about discipleship in the church, um, there's a lot of different understandings, a lot of different definitions of what discipleship really is. Um, we, we throw out other terms, evangelism and, and sharing our faith, and all of those are a, are, are a component or an element of that. But the thing about discipleship is discipleship is messy. It really is. Um, it, it's difficult. It's hard um, because I'll just, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say none of us in this room are perfect, all right? Um, I don't care what you think. You're not perfect, all right? I'm not. You're not. None of us are perfect. And so when we talk about discipleship, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ and, and being molded and shaped and formed into his image, that is a very messy process. But one of the beautiful things is we get to do that together. When we, when we become a part of one of those discipleship groups, it's a, it's a chance for us to, to study scripture together, to pray together, to, to learn and grow with one another so we can become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so discipleship is messy, but guess what? Jesus, I mean, we, we see this again in the story of Christmas. He stepped into our mess. God took on human flesh in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and he stepped into our mess. 
And so if he, God, is willing to do that for all of humanity, we don't deserve it. We didn't deserve for him to come and and to take on human form and to go to the cross and to die. We deserve death. We deserve the cross, not Jesus. But because he loved us so much, he stepped into our mess. He took on that, that brokenness, that pain, and that hurt for us so that we could have right relationship with him. So if he, God, is willing to step into our mess, and should we not do the very same for others? Uh, I know at times when it comes to discipleship, sometimes we, we say, well, I'll, I'll meet with you once. Um, and if it doesn't go how I want it to go, we kind of move on. We go to somebody else. Um, but the reality is God wants us to step in. Stepping into the mess, it's hard, it's challenging, but it's rewarding and it's fruitful because it brings about great life change. Jesus does not shy away from our conflict, but instead we see in the incarnation, we see divinity stooping down to take on humanity, which reveals that he is not afraid. He's not afraid of our mess. He's not afraid of our conflict. He's not afraid of our brokenness. He's not afraid of our pain. He's not afraid of our darkness. He's the light of the world. He wants to step in to your mess and my mess, and he wants to extinguish that darkness and shine forth a bright light. That's what Jesus Christ longs to do. Uh, Would you stand with me this morning? I have one last story that I want to share to really capture um, this truth. How many of you are, um, how many are familiar with, and, and this is uh, something that I actually had as a kid, and I think it's now like one of the vintage toys that maybe has made a comeback now, but the light bright. Anybody know what the light bright was? Okay, all right. Um, I had one of those as a kid. Um, you, you had this little black or blue piece of paper that you would stick on, on the, um, the light board thing, whatever it was called, um, the screen, and uh, you had those little pegs. Um, you know, you'd have a design that you would have on that piece of paper and you would, you know, put the pegs through. Um, and once you turned on the light, um, you would have this, this beautiful, beautiful display, this beautiful look, um, piece of artwork, um, that, that you just spent time doing. Thankfully, there was a nice little design to help you. Um, but, but it, it, you would see this, once the light was turned on, this piece of paper, uh, would shine forth brightly, uh, with the picture that you um, that you were designing, um, and what's very interesting is though, if you take that um, take that blue or black piece of paper after you've poked all those holes through it, um, and you just you know hand it to somebody, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. Like, what is this? You're handing me a piece of paper with a bunch of holes in it. I mean, it, it has no value, right? I mean, it's just a piece of paper with a bunch of of little tiny holes through it. And, and, and it really means nothing unless you put it back on that board and you turn the light on and the light is able to shine through. And, and the reality is that sometimes I, I think that our life is like that piece of paper. Um, maybe you're here in this room today and, and, and you can say very quickly, yeah, my life reflects that piece of paper that's, that's dark, it has a bunch of holes in it and, and feels like it has no value, no purpose. 
I'm here to tell you this morning that that may be that really is how all of our lives are. But once we accept Jesus Christ, once we place our trust and our faith in him, the light of the world will shine through that darkness and will produce something that is beautiful, something that is lovely, and something that is good. And so that paper reflects our lives. It's full of holes. It reflects emptiness and darkness and no purpose or significance. Yet when we embrace Jesus, the light of the world, our lives are changed. It's given new meaning and we are made whole. Um, would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment?